0: Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. This is episode number 12. I'm Joel and the podcast is all about what is it to be an effective, impactful coach. Today I'm going to be speaking with Jennifer Garvey-Berger. Uh, I love speaking with her. She's the founder of Growth Edge Coaching and the author of two really great books, Changing on a Job and Simple Habits for Complex Times. She's also the teacher on our online program for coaches called um, The Art of Developmental Coaching. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to speak about, well, what is developmental coaching? How is it different from other kinds of coaching? We will unpack these distinct stages of consciousness that people like um, Robert Keegan, the renowned Harvard psychologist, have uncovered through their decades of research. And well, why is that important for coaches? Because the, the way that you coach someone should be different, should be appropriate for, for the stage of development that they're at. The kinds of interventions you offer should be appropriate for the stage that they're at. And as you learn to coach developmentally, you can learn to uncover the stage that they're at. You can go beneath the content of what they're talking about to, to uncover this kind of hidden operating system. And that's when everything changes. So if you enjoy this interview, I've done a couple more with Jennifer, which I think are really fantastic. I'll put a link to those on Jennifer's podcast page. That's at um, coachesrising.com. If you go to her page, you'll see them there. And I'm going to be back at the end of this one to tell you a little bit more about the art of developmental coaching great to be in this space with you again today. Jennifer, how's things for you? I know that you're getting ready for a cool move as well.
1: Yes, you've got to excuse the um, the disarray in the surroundings behind me. All my books are packed up and ready to go. So um, things are fabulous. And we are moving to London for seven months as a part of this attempt that we've been talking about for like 10 years of creating a bi-hemispheric life where we have summer in new zealand and then um spring summer and the beginnings of autumn somewhere else and then um that again in new zealand so we'll just see if it works we're trying it for the first time this year it's a safe to fail experiment
0: i love the abundance of that idea you know where you can just kind of jet around the globe and, and miss winter
1: that's right well winter and i are not really good friends and so this um this helps me uh Kind of be in the seasons I most like, and we'll just see whether whether it works. I have clients all over the world. There was, like, New Zealand's already the most um, inconvenient place in the world to for a global consulting job. So I figured this just makes it better for some people in the um, in half the year. (laughs) Of course, right now all my Australian clients are like ramping up, and so I'm gonna have to come to Australia.
0: yeah it's it's only like a whatever 12 hour 14 hour flight or or i don't know how long it takes but it's a long 24 (laughs) hour yeah so it's you know just a just a hop around the corner well i i I was just saying to you like um i I did i listened to our last interview um just before this one which was kind of a double-edged sword because i was like oh crap we we covered a lot of really amazing territory about developmental coaching so um which is which is great, and so I um, I wanted to, to we'll, we'll be going into that today, of course, but I wanted to ask you about leadership and coaching leaders, and um, you know this in particular coaching leaders in the 21st century where things are just going crazy right now, um, and and you just spoke about a, a program that you have piloted where you're you know you're bringing in developmental uh, theory and with leaders explicitly. And I wondered if you could just tell me a little bit about what that program was and maybe what, what surprised you or what did you discover?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. My, you know, I've, I've been um, studying and thinking about adult development theory for 21 years, something like that. Like um, when I started learning, when I was pregnant with my daughter and she's 20 years old now, so um so it's been a long time and um and yet i it's only in the last couple of years that i have started to use it really explicitly with clients right it's been like simmering in the background and i have the growth edge interview which as you know is a thing that we've been using with clients for some years but in terms of putting it on stage in a leadership program or um or really having clients come to me to spend like the bulk of our time really talking about how they're transitioning from here to there, that's been um, just taking off in the last couple of years. And I think it's just as you say, I think it's that the, the world is getting crazier and crazier and less and less predictable, and people are understanding that it's the instrument of their own leadership That is the most important thing, right? That it's who they are being that is more important than what they know, because the knowing is changing so fast that they'll never be able to keep up, right? You can hire smart people who know stuff and who can follow things along um, in these industries that are massively disrupted, but... But you need the leader to be calm in the face of uncertainty, to be excited by possibilities, to be able to handle the anxiety of the folks around her. And um, that's a developmental thing. And so more and more of my clients are explicitly interested in their own development, the development of their senior teams. So this program that you're talking about, we we, um, we were asked to design a program about scale. How do you lead at ever bigger scales in a, an organization that's, um, that's growing really fast? And um, where the, 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 the work of the leaders is continually changing, just continually changing because of the um, new products, um, massive disruption, new countries, you name it, right? Um, And so we did a lot of research to try and figure out what is it that matters most at scale. We read about scale, we studied scale, and really it's kind of how you show up because at scale you can no longer trade on your relationships, right? It's not, you can't know the team well enough, you can't, um, People won't forgive you your quirks because they like you so much. You can't know the topic well enough or be skilled enough at what you do. So if you're leading a hospital, you can't just be the best oncologist, right? And people say, oh, yeah, that person's really great because he's the best oncologist. You actually have to um, be able to impress people with the force of who you are. And they might know you for 10 seconds. They might see you on a stage with 400 people. They might see you on a video call with 10,000 other people. And something of you has to transmit to them. And that's the thing that they take away. And so, um, and there's no preparing for that. There's no stuff you know. There's no, um, there's no, uh, geez, if I could, you know, learn how to say these sentences, it would be good. I can prepare the perfect speech. Like, it's not that. Right? Cause these are people who pass you in the hall. These are people who, um, who know people who sat at a table with you at lunch one day and your reputation builds in those, um, in those fleeting moments at a distance with people who might never meet you. And so the thing we came to realize is that at scale, it's who you be. And, um, Adult development tells you a whole lot about that. And so working on how you see the world, how you react to the world, how you make sense of other people, their opinions, their perspectives, their discomfort, and how you monitor yourself and get a new perspective on yourself and how you're showing up. This ability to take multiple perspectives on you um, turns out to be a big, big, big piece of the game. So we're explicitly teaching that.
0: Mm. Just a couple of things that come up. Like it, it does feel like we're in some kind of developmental dojo these days, you know, with the, and it's like the kind of the cool thing about all the turmoil, isn't it? It's like change is happening so fast and information is evolving so fast that we, that is, it's, you know, it's putting us right in our face, isn't it? You know, and we, we have to kind of grow in the ways that you're, that you're talking about. So that's one thing that comes up. And the second thing is like, um, I, I mean, I love you said like the, it's about the force of who you are and and what you're transmitting. So could you share a little bit more about um, some of these qualities that, that are necess- necessary, you know, in order to to lead at scale in this way that you're talking about, maybe we can kind of zoom in on them. Of course, we want to bring into the conversation about what development is uh, maybe to the coaches who haven't heard some of your other interviews with me
1: yeah so this question about a developmental dojo like I totally agree with you for yeah I've been in this field a long time and for years decades like 15 years call it um, I'd be talking about adult development and people would be like "Ah, oh, so you spent like oh whole doctorate on that <laughs> um and and you could just watch their eyes glaze over like wow that looks like a good idea for you well wow, uh uh-huh. um and now people are like oh my god that's exactly what i need tell me more because this thing is crazy like we cannot do what we've done before we need something new and um It's totally in how our leaders are showing up because that is the difference that we need because they know enough. They're working hard enough. They're smart. They know the, um, they, they know the technical aspects of their job. They even know the technical aspects of leadership, like all that stuff, we've got it and it's still not working. What do we do? And it's this question about who are they being, right now. And everybody kind of has a sense of it. But adult development gives you a real, um, a, a real handhold, I think, to be able to describe what are the clusters of ways of being in the world that we can recognize, and what are the ones that we m- might most want to go for. So I'll describe a little bit about this developmental theory and hook it to leadership. Um, and I'll start with what I talk about as the self-sovereign form of mind, um, because actually there's quite a lot of leadership in the world right now that's looking like this. Um, this is a surprise because when I started my dissertation, we didn't even think the self-sovereign mind existed outside of kids. So, um, so I was on one of the early studies that saw it in grownups at all. Um, actually, it had been studied in grown- ups and prison populations but in uh, but I was in this first study that saw it in kind of normal successful adults um, and in the self sovereign form of mind it's like there's a um, a wall that comes down between you and the rest of the world when you're a little little kid and that wall means that you you can't take the perspectives of other people, right? You, you just can't see them. So you're always kind of guessing at what's going on for other people. And as you're doing that guessing, um, the one thing that you know about is you and what you want and what you need, and that's what you're solving for. And so you become, I call it self-sovereign because you become like the, the king or the queen of your own domain, right? And mm-hmm. that's the thing that you're always solving for. And um, my... When my son was little, Aiden, he um, started to go through this transition into this place. And he talked about, we were walking to school one day, he's like eight years old. We're walking to school one day and he said, mom, I'm having an existential crisis. I was like, wow, Aiden, (laughs) tell me about your existential crisis. And he said, well, I'm, I'm realizing that you right now are having thoughts and Naomi is having thoughts and dad is having thoughts and everybody in the whole village is having thoughts. And I don't know what those thoughts are and everybody in the whole country and everybody in the whole um, part of the world and everybody in Africa, everybody in the world right now is having their own thoughts and I'll never know what those thoughts are unless they tell me. And even then they could lie to me and I would never know. And so it's like this sense of oh my god i thought we were connected people and all of a sudden i see that we're not so connected and it's totally overwhelming and um that can be for grown ups too it can be for grown ups too and it creates a um a kind of paranoid short sighted um you can imagine if you were just always guessing at the perspective of other people you didn't really have a way in and you couldn't do anything but solve for yourself um, you would be kind of paranoid and changing really fast and um, unable to hold on to anything except your own needs and your mm. own desires. Mm. Um, and we see that in the world today, right?
0: It seems, yeah, like I'm just people prominent in the news are coming coming to mind.
1: Right into your head, right. So, um, so obviously that is not a helpful leadership place and all the research into adult development and leadership. There isn't tons and tons of research into adult development and leadership, but all of it says this one's dangerous, right? So the self-sovereign form of mind um, when you see it in leaders is it's dangerous for the leaders and it's really dangerous for the people around the leaders. Um, You just don't have the foundational capacity in order to do coordinate all the things a leader needs to coordinate and lead well. So over time, people grow, they're um, like this wall kind of opens up and our minds open up to each other. And suddenly, not only can I take your perspective, but I kind of breathe in your perspective, it becomes, um, in some ways, a piece of who I am, and you, you make me up. Right. And that can happen either in a relationship or with an organization. I can breathe in the organization's perspective and it makes me up. It tells me what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what's success or not. I can breathe in um, uh, an industry like uh, an accounting industry or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever it is. I can breathe that in the psychologist I can breathe it in and it shapes me. It tells me who I am. We call this the socialized form of mind because I'm suddenly um, like in a community, it becomes me and I become it. And that's been a massive achievement for humans. Um, I, I think it's a big piece of how we have been able to organize together. Like- putting down the thing that's most important to me on behalf of what's most important to us.
0: Yeah. Like we can live in tribes and and societies.
1: That's exactly right. And we don't do it in that kind of tit for tat. I won't hurt you because you might hurt me way that you get in this earlier self-sovereign form of mine. We do it because actually it hurts me to hurt you. Right. Because we are, um, connected in some way, our tribe is one and I need to feel good about myself. I need to live inside the parameters of this, or of this group or organization or whatever it is, religion that I'm village enmeshed with. Um, and so that's a spectacular achievement. I think it's been, um, great for humans. For most of human history, it's probably most of what people ever needed, but right now, with the world changing so fast, just breathing it in, like, what do you breathe in? There's so much, right? And what do you do with all the dissonance in the world? There's no ground from which to make choices when you're just breathing in the environment around you. And so um, so now this idea that you might have to, instead of being written by your surround, you might have to pick up the pen and write your own story, be what we'd talk about as the self authored form of mind. Um, that's been really important. And even in the last 20 years, you know, Bob Keegan's book In Over Our Heads came out in 1994. And um, his premise then was that. Um, that the world was progressing so fast that the socialized mind wasn't working for us anymore. And that in fact, you needed this more self authored mm-hmm. mind in order to write your own story and deal with all the dissonance around you. Cause you can't just breathe in one thing anymore because there's so much, there's so much diversity that you're exposed to. Mm-hmm. So for a leader that shift from the socialized to the self authored form of mind is super important. Um, and the leadership literature will say that, um, that leaders who make that shift tend to be more successful in a variety of different measures, Mm. but there's this one more shift, right? And that's, I think the news now. And I think the news of why um, adult development is starting to get hot in, um, in leadership circles is because that all that stuff is, it's intuitively sensible. Like if you listen to Oprah, she'll tell you, you should do that. If you listen to, um, you know, the, however many habits of highly successful people there are, they'll tell you to do that. Like all these um, self-help guides tell you, basically get you to the point of self authorship. And most leadership development programs have been often about like finding your true North, or deciding who the leader is you want to be. All that stuff gets you to self-authorship. But now it looks like, and the research here is really initial, but it's interesting. It looks like the big step change for leaders doesn't come between the socialized and the self-authored mind, but between the self-authored and the self-transforming mind. So, And the self-transforming mind is when you finally say, you know what? I've been writing this story and I've been trying to like work on myself and make myself really um, as good as I possibly can. And I've been like, I've been my own self-improvement project, but actually I don't exist in a vacuum. Actually we are co-creating this space together and my ideas are not the prime. Like I don't have to go away and get my ideas. So, perfect. Actually, we should be creating things together. Um, We should be that the space that's most important is the relational space between us. And it's not about what I know and what I can do and what I can write and how good I am, but about how we are. And so it's kind of beyond the self authored space. There's this space of co-construction. It's the space where people can see, I used to think that it was black or white and then I saw it's black, gray, or white. And then I saw it's black, gray, 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 white. And now I realize actually black and white are just two sides of a long continuum. And I can play anywhere along that continuum. So it gives you much more space to play, um, much less attachment to your own ideas, your own own perspective it's still there you you have your own ideas and your own perspective but you're not so attached to them anymore and that seems to be the massive shift in um in leadership capability that this current time calls for Mm -hmm. the problem is there are like five percent of the world like five percent of grown-ups get there so we need support to be able to grow in that direction that was a long
0: but that's a beautiful uh, journey through these different stages. And, I, and I, as you describe this self-transforming mind, I get a sense of why um, it, it seems like somebody who's move, at least moving towards that stage, that they would be better capable of um, being with complexity and, and being with things at scale because they're uh, much more s- uh, psychologically spacious and, and, um, and, and the immediacy of change and complexity is less threatening from that place because, you know, you're just, you're just more able in the moment to be able to kind of pick things up and turn them upside down and, 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 and question yourself and, and take perspective on perspectives in the moment.
1: That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so, and you're able to, um, coordinate among really diverse stakeholders and see brand new connections between those, those, seemingly um, intractable positions. You're able to release what you think of as your single best way and instead play with the perspectives of others in such a way that new possibilities form. Um, You're able to be more experimental, which, you know, is super important in complexity because you're less attached to your idea being the winning idea and you're more attached to learning and growing and understanding in new ways. And so at that space, you have so many of the capabilities we look for in a leader who's leading in this crazy tumultuous world. Um, but they're not teachable. You have to grow them.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, say more about that statement. They're not teachable, you have to grow them. Like, why, why, why is that true?
1: Well, because they're not skills or knowledge, right? It's like, um, it's like really, really wanting an apple and then looking at the apple in your hand and saying, damn it, I want you to reproduce. Like apples don't just reproduce, right? We have to go through process that mm. grow things. Um, and we have to go through these different, it looks like, right? Like the research suggests and the, my, my, um, my understanding with my clients has been you have to go through these earlier places and harvest what's good from each of these places before you arrive at these later stages and so you you can't just snap your fingers and get there you actually have to be able to see more do more take a new perspective it's um Um, you know, it's as if somebody walks into a yoga class on the first day and um, the teacher asks them to do this, like, super fancy headstand pose. Like, you need to work your way into that by stretching and by practicing and by um, working. And adult development is the same way. You have to grow into it um, a little, a little, a little at a time.
0: I mean, what comes to mind is, you know, I, I just thinking for myself when I came across these ideas when I was like 22 or something, 25. And um, how, <laughs> you know, I was like reading about um, uh, Keegan's work and about integral theory. And I was like, we, me and all my friends, we were like, we're second tier. We're, we're like, you know, we're up there. We're up in these like higher echelons of psychological development. But what we were doing was we were making a massive mistake between understanding what they were pointing towards and the, and, and the direct experience of, of like being able to take those perspectives and, and actually live it. And I think that's something really important that you're, you're pointing to, you know, it's like, it's not the same thing to just understand the idea is to actually be able to lead from that place.
1: See, and that's the thing, people, people sort of are wanting, sorry, big motorcycle in the background, people are wanting, um, you know, what are the tips and tricks and and can you do it in 90 minutes? And well, can you do it in 20 minutes? And uh, that's a cognitive thing, right? Like you could learn about it. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're able to be it, to live it. Um, and, and it is that difference that you're going for in leaders, because if people are trying to replicate a model, they've read about, um, like that doesn't come across as authentic and you can't do it for very long, right? That splinters right away. And um, and that doesn't do good things for your reputation. It doesn't good, do good things for your ability to get stuff done. Mm. And so um, so it's not a... So the thing that I've been trying to do, the thing I've tried to do in my whole career is help people grow. And the thing that I've been trying to do lately is help people grow and let them know that this is the journey that I think we're on so that the developmental theory isn't so much in the background helping me design so much as it is in the foreground, helping us have conversations about how did you make sense of that and how much of that was about the voices of these other people in your head and how much of that was your own voice and having those very explicit developmental conversations
0: and so yeah how, how does that go like i mean you must have done that for a reason and it must be working in some way to be able to explicitly include it in the conversations
1: yeah um i guess one of the questions is why did it take me so long but the um <laughs> it goes it goes super well and i think that you need like in the in the work that i do with coaches the the necessary precondition before you talk about development with another person is to be clean in yourself, that each of these developmental stages is beautiful and whole and helpful in its own way. And that there are goods to be harvested, that there are wonderful things about each place. If you kind of go in saying like, we've all got to get to the top and everybody down there is an idiot. Like it, I just think that's so unhelpful because it, it doesn't allow people to be where they are and then move to the next place. Um, and if there's one thing I've learned in all of this work and all the interviews I've done, all the clients I've been with is that each developmental space is its own form of beauty. Um, so once we can inhabit that space, then I think offering to our clients, this idea that says there's a map, like I've seen a map and I, yeah. I kind of know some of the terrain of this map and geez, I know developmental theory has helped me grow. Like, I'm sure you'd say it's Mm. helped you grow. Yeah, sure. So, So offering that to clients so that they can find their way through and give them handholds to say, Oh, look at me. I'm being this way. Like it's an, it's a new place that they can look at themselves from that turns out to be incredibly useful to their own growth and development.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. When I've introduced this, these ideas and I, you know, there was an uh, appendix of yours uh, from your book that I was sending to all my clients and, and still do. And, and they, no one's ever read it and gone like, yeah, no, yeah, It's, it's not really for me. You know, every time they read it, they'll, they'll, Oh yeah, shit. I see this. Like they, they, they get it. You know, it's very, even though it's, Complex in some ways. It's also it's it's who we are as human beings, and it's there's something very intuitive about it. So, um, I wonder if you could say a few things about you know we're this is a community of coaches we're we're speaking to, um, coaching people developmentally, and and I know in our past interviews we've talked about this as well. You know, um, like like what are the kind of questions we can ask? Uh, what are we looking for? What are some of the doorways? into people's, um, meaning making. So we can kind of touch on some of those. And I think, um, I would invite people to go back and listen. What I'm curious to ask you about is tying it back to the leadership conversation and and talking about this, this imperative for us to move from, um, you know, from maybe some self-authoring beyond, Um, what, what does coaching from that space look like? Uh, is it different from the preceding stages? And I've done my usual thing, but you're you're great at this. I've like asked about six questions in one, but you I know you can handle it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so I think there are a couple of questions in there, right? So there's um, this question about how do we um, h- how do we make sense of what we're doing as developmental coaching or not developmental coaching? I hear mm. is mm. one of those questions and then is coaching different in these different places Um, i think we make sense of ourselves as developmental coaches if the thing that we care the most about is not what our clients are doing or even what they're thinking but what they mean by what they're doing and what they're thinking right and when we coach i often think like there's this kind of goal-oriented coaching which is about what do you want to accomplish how can i help you with that um Often there are skills, there are habits, there are techniques. It's really useful. Like, don't get me wrong. It's really helpful. Um, I've been helped by coaches like that in my life and seen clients really transformed by them. Um, but it's not developmental necessarily, right? You can, mm. you can walk in as a socialized thinker, learn all those cool habits and techniques be a better leader still be totally in the same socialized space that you were in before then there are coaches that work with people's emotions the um um even their somatic responses like that level is super important because it helps people observe themselves it helps people understand a little bit why why did i um snap at him in that meeting how do i how do i observe that how do i make sense of that but then there's this, I think it's a deeper layer, but you can hear my um, my bias there, right? To call it deeper, it's mm. another <laughs> layer. We can call it um, a different layer, which is about um, why did those emotions and feelings arise for me? How was I seeing the world such that those emotions and feelings arose for me? So I once had a client who asked me to... Um, he was snapping at his senior team all the time. He's the general need some techniques in a meeting when the, they're acting like idiots to not show how impatient and annoyed I am. And I said, right, I don't do that. Um, and he said, Oh, you're going to do all this mumbo jumbo about why do I get impatient and annoyed? And what was my mother like? And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, what we're going to do is, look at why you make sense. How do you make sense of the world such that when they say those things, you get annoyed that annoyance is Mm -hmm. the thing that happens then. And so we had these conversations looking at the way he was making sense of them and the stories he was telling himself about them and also the boundaries, the, um, the things he could see that he was doing and the things he couldn't see, the things that were invisible to him. Um, and over time, he got less annoyed because he saw that he was creating the conditions for his annoyance by being in his head, by having a solution already in mind, by not being straight with them about what he actually wanted to get out of this meeting, uh, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and once he was watching himself as the author of those experiences, the the experience of annoyance shifted for him. So that's well, kind of the yeah. development of coaching.
0: Me, uh, can I ask a little into what kind of questions did you ask him to help him see that?
1: So you, I go for questions that are kind of, um, um, to try and explore what are the edges of his sense-making system. So like, those are often um, questions about what, uh, what was the hardest part for you? What's most at risk? Um, the, the kind of things that push people to the extremes. And then you ask those questions a few times so, what was the hardest part of y- for you when he made this out of that field suggestion? Um, well, the hardest part is that he was getting in the way of the meeting, and we were on a track, and now we were disrupted. Um, What was the hardest part of that disruption? And so if you ask that question a couple of times, you kind of tunnel in and you find some kind of assumption about the world that's untested or unquestioned. And if you find enough of those assumptions, they're sort of the fence posts of our meaning system and they create the boundaries that we live inside. And once you can name them, you can start to dismantle them and we can start to go beyond them.
0: Mm, beautiful beautiful and and so these doorways in you know like one could be around um like you mentioned these assumptions um i've heard you speak before about um like identity um like who am i this is what we're talking about a lot now but um like the kind of values that we hold as well um all being kind of um the language that our clients use that we can then start to do what you're talking about you know to not just ask like, oh, what did you do next? Or where do you want to go? But to say like, w- what has you see the world that that value is up for you right now? What does it mean about the way you see the world?
1: That's exactly right. And what would it be to put that value down, right? And where does that value come from? Did it Was it given to you by somebody else whole or are you authoring it? Can you take pieces of it? Because actually this the, the kind of whole of it is getting in your way. But if you took a bunch of it and left a little bit aside, it would, it would liberate you in some way. Yeah. So all that stuff is inside what I think of as developmental coaching.
0: And, and so, um, you know, if, you know, and you, I know you said that only 5% of leaders in a way are, are operating from self transforming, but say we were working with someone who was ready to make that transition yeah, like I wonder if how that how that kind of coaching may look.
1: Yeah, so that it is a different thing, right? Um, so much of coaching is about helping our clients um, find their inner voice. I have a client in this space right now, and he's an extraordinary man, an extraordinary extraordinary leader. Um, and he has done so much work on himself. Like you cannot imagine the amount of work he's done on himself. Super passionate guy. Um, and the thing we talk about is not working on yourself. Like you're, you're good enough, right? Like, like that's good enough. Now let's work on letting down some of those tools and opening into uncertainty. Let's work on not having to know all the answers because he can because his brain is that big so we're gonna not let having to know all the answers and instead opening up to wonder again opening up to exploration again and having your identity not housed in what you can do and be and how like solid and awesome this is but let's have um let's see if your identity can more gracefully shift and flow to incorporate this space around you so that it's about who we are being right now and how, how I'm contributing to how we are being and how can I use the force of this to create these new possibilities? And so he's like, you are so different from the other coaches I've worked with. You cannot imagine (laughs) because the stuff we're working on, like, like the homework is to not do homework, right? Like the, the, um, the personal mastery work is to put down the personal mastery work and to instead open up to in the moment and trying to experience the moment instead of planning for it and preparing for it and, so it's got that kind of flavor, and it really is a different journey
0: yeah it's like um I get the sense we're we're letting go of that that kind of persona that we've been perfecting, trying to complete um so it's a, in a way it's a counter instinctual move you know it's like are we and it's it feels very vulnerable, you know it feels like they're this counter intuitive vulnerable move am I prepared to let go of the th- the very thing that i've been using to make myself strong to make myself successful or powerful and useful in the world you know and, and now you were telling me hey what would it be like to to let go of some of those activities so so I, that's what really excites me about this kind of counter instinctual move and then and then the immediacy of it too like when i see you speaking about it it's like suddenly we're in this immediate space of almost like co, co-creation or something like we're being formed together the vulnerability and the immediacy of it.
1: It's extraordinary actually. And it's amazing to watch what it does for this leader um, who has been able to master everything he's ever touched. Cause he really is like one of those once in a lifetime guys that you meet. Um, and now he has to put that mastery down. And it's every cell in his body is saying work harder, work harder, work out harder. And he comes off a stage. He leads a really large organization and he comes off a stage where he's just been talking to 30,000 people. And he says, I was just totally real with them. I was completely human. I wasn't polished. I wasn't trying to be perfect. And they are now so much more motivated than they were when I like polished my speech and practiced it and videotaped myself. And it's like, I've never talked to audiences quite so big. And yet the, the me that's coming through to them is so much more inspirational than the me that I was polishing and perfecting all these other years. Plus he's sleeping better. um, Playing with his kids more. He's, enjoying the world more than he was enjoying the world before. Um, And he feels like this massive weight has been lifted off of his shoulders. So it is totally counterintuitive. I completely agree with you. And and yet the rewards are really there for leaders who make that transition.
0: Mm. I feel this space in my coaching sometimes where, you know, we both move beyond a professional relationship if I'm relating to them as Joel, the professional coach who has to get results or, you know, look at them through lenses, of course it's great to have all that stuff, but there's an intimacy that's missing. And there's a kind of raw intimacy of two human beings meeting beyond their, beyond their personas. And um, I've always found that an extraordinary place to meet another human being in because it's so alive. There's something about the energy that's, that's used in, Uh, trying to complete that persona or build it up or live through it that's suddenly liberated in this, you know, but then then there's a need to conduct all that intensity. And and it brings me back to this whole thing around complexity and and all these little moments you mentioned where you, you can show up as a leader and touch people and, and, and touch the systems that you're leading within.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it makes a real demand on who we are right? Like as coaches, we can't be the polished, like I know everything, like, oh yes, let me pull out that model. Let me pull out that model. Let me pull out that model. And I can totally deliver you to insight in 56 minutes. Like we have to let that down too, if we're going to be coaching in this way so that we can have that human to human experience um, that says, I'm afraid I don't know what's gonna happen here. I watch my own anxiety. This leader I'm talking about is so brilliant. Like, I go in and I'm like, really? Are you paying me to talk to you, really? Because like, unbelievable. And he leads this massive organization, massive. And, and I think, like, what are you thinking? And when I think that too much, and then I try to like be Really sophisticated and ask the really killer question. Like, it's totally gets in the way, right? What he needs is somebody to really listen to him, mirror back to him who he is, and be curious. That's what mm-hmm. he needs. Um, and say, wow, I can imagine how hard that is. And I can imagine these 17 different ways to see them. I don't know which one would be helpful, but I don't know. What do you reckon? That's what he needs. Um, and he finds that extraordinarily helpful. Uh, but I am constantly working to get myself out of my, and my need to deliver value inside our 90 minute sessions. I am constantly working to put that thing down and just be with this other human Mm. being.
0: Yeah. Self-transforming, huh? The role, the coach self-transforming in the session with the client. So um, yeah, I'm aware of the time and I've really thoroughly enjoyed myself. You know, I, I, like I said, I came in thinking, shit, we've talked about this stuff already a few times and it's been awesome. Where are we going to go today? But actually, uh, I I think this has been one of my most enjoyable conversations with you. So um, where can we find out more about what you're up to?
1: Um, You can find out on my website, um, cultivatingleadership.com. Uh, We blog there, um, my colleagues and I. I have a new book that I've just finished that um, is supposed to um, make complexity and leading complexity easy. Well, no, it's supposed to make the ideas easy as opposed (laughs) to the practice. The practice is always going to be hard. Um, And so I'm hoping that'll be out in the next Year or so it takes kind of a while to get a book to market but i'll be writing about that too on the blog so um that's all for people to play around with and explore
0: yeah awesome awesome well okay well uh see you soon yeah
1: okay thanks
0: hello joel here again i hope you've enjoyed my conversation with jennifer and as i mentioned at the start jennifer's going to be on the faculty of our upcoming online Art of Developmental coaching program. It's a 15-week program and it's designed to give you the tools and the maps to help your clients go beneath the surface of their goals and frustrations into the domain of what I feel is, is real, genuine transformation. It's kind of like, if you think of it like making the invisible visible, showing your clients the developmental pathway that can lead away from their their dilemmas and frustrations towards the deep changes that truly matter to them. So the training is fully ICF credited and it features some of the very best developmental coaches in the world. As I said, it's online. It's via video conference, meaning that you can join in from wherever you are in the world and it's interactive. There's going to be the chance to join practice groups there'll be an online course environment workbooks it's a very immersive program so registration is now open and you can find out more by going to coachesrising.com forward slash art of developmental coaching that's coachesrising.com forward slash art of developmental coaching